0: Welcome to the rant. I'm your host, Herman James. And on today's episode, Brandon Williams and I will be talking about the legal system. All right, welcome everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I have got Brandon Williams for Williams and Headliana Law. How you doing, Brandon? I'm
1: doing good. How about you?
0: Doing pretty well. Uh, I'm surviving the uh, what's now going to be freezing weather tonight here in Sacramento. So uh, everyone's freaking out a little bit, but I, I think I'll survive the night.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been cold up here too. So it snowed like yesterday. So it's uh, the weather is definitely changing.
0: It, it is changing, and uh, the fact that I think NPR this morning said it's going to be below freezing tonight, which probably means it's only going to be like 31 degrees. But everyone at work and around me was freaking out. I even uh, came home right after work and started a fire in my house just to be ahead of the uh, cold chill. I feel it's uh, a little bit of uh, overkill, but I'd rather do that than freeze out a little bit later.
1: <laughs> I totally understand.
0: All right. So uh, Brandon is an attorney. Uh, he does some criminal defenses, some family law, uh, jack of all trades within... Uh, his law firm. Today I would like to just get some background information and some more information about what you do in uh, your kind of daily life when it comes to work because everything that I know about law and courtrooms either directly relates to me and from when I was 16 to 22 getting I think I have 16 maybe 18 speeding tickets three of which were from what I was told by the judge were felony speeding but they never convicted me of any of them to law and order so if it's not on either of those spectrums I really don't know much about the real law office I know that you can't you know say this whole court's out of order but you do it for a living and you have a better understanding than I think most people would. And I would just like to pick your brain and kind of see what it is you do and how you affect the world and the ways you do it. You okay with that?
1: Yes. My name is Brandon Williams. I'm a mainly criminal defense attorney. I've been attorney um, licensed since 2008, so at least 10 years. have basically practiced on all different types of the law. I first started off um, clerking for a judge the Honorable Judge Amy Krause, and I was in Lansing, Michigan. So I was a clerk for her. And then I got an opportunity right before I graduated, I did an externship at the Santa Clara County District Attorney's Office. And then from there, I got a job offer with another firm in Chico, California, doing mainly criminal defense work. And then around 2010, I started my own practice. And then around 2013, I partnered up with Mr. Havliana. And our practice, we do, I mainly do criminal defense and my partner does family law and and like personal injury type cases. You can find us, our website is wjllplaw.com. You can email us at info at wjllplaw.com. And if you need to call us, our phone number is 530-592-4305.
0: Great. So we've got anyone that's looking to get any information kind of uh, potentially see if they would be a fit for you they can check out your website again that's com, and uh, kind of get in contact with you and see if they can afford a lawyer and if it would even be relevant to them now yes. in terms of lawyers and you know the needing the lawyer versus not needing a lawyer and thinking you can do everything. Like I said, everything I know is based on TV and movies. Uh, I do have a friend member that is a police officer, so I get a little bit of insight and kind of ideas of what it is at that point. But the people I know that are lawyers aren't ones that are lawyers that defend people. They are like corporate lawyers and doing law things for agricultural lobbyists. So in terms of when people need a lawyer? Is it smarter to get in contact with someone and see if it's relevant for them to actually pay the money for a lawyer, depending on the case versus showing up alone? And I I know that's relative depending on what you're in trouble for, whether it's going to be a speeding ticket, a DUI, or, you know, God forsake, you've killed someone by accident. Um, what would you recommend the person do if they think they need a lawyer?
1: I mean, if you if you think you need a lawyer, I mean, I would definitely advise you to contact a law firm. Um, most law firms have what we call free initial consultation and that would be an opportunity for you to come in and kind of tell the lawyer kind of what's going on. And the lawyer at that point in time can determine what type of case it is, how much it would cost you, um, whether it's even in your, your interest of having it or maybe they don't practice that law, they could um, refer you. But most, most times I would say if you have like a, like a speeding ticket or something like that, um, you might not necessarily need a lawyer, uh, especially if you haven't had one before, like any you know, prior you know, speeding tickets. But if you have gotten multiple speeding tickets and your license possibly can be suspended due to having too much points, then I would suggest you to you know, contact a law, uh, lawyer so he can kind of maybe help you keep your driver's license. But any time you're charged with a misdemeanor or a felony, it's never good to represent yourself in that because you don't know the legal process, and the courts are designed to treat everyone the same. So even if you're not an attorney, you're still supposed to go by the whatever the rules of, of court and know the procedure and stuff like that. So they're supposed to hold you at the same um, accountability as an, uh, as an attorney. And if you haven't went to school, you don't know the procedures and things of that nature. You're not gonna it's gonna be hard for you. And also, okay. you know, you let's say you know you're guilty of something, you don't know what's a good deal are or not because you don't practice this type of law. So it's always good to consult an attorney and then they could give you at least some information and then at that time you could decide whether you want to hire one or go with the public defender if you can afford one. And I would I would suggest in any case if it's a misdemeanor or a felony, you get some kind of counsel, whether it's a public defender or whether it's a private counsel.
0: Okay. And now if you are in either low funds or you just don't know what you should do, so you take on the idea that you get a public defender from my understanding, the public defender themselves are typically fresh out of law school and their caseloads are monstrous. And they have about 45 seconds to a minute before they walk in to talk to you to brief themselves on your specific case and present it to the judge. And on top of that, from what I also understand, most of them are looking to just get a plea deal to just get you in, out, and gone and get them moved on to the next person that's either in uh, Gen Pop or that's in the drunk tank or that's in the courtroom now. How do you see that, or am I even close to what reality is?
1: I don't think you're close to reality. A lot of times, you know, public defenders get a bad rap on cases, um, and I don't think that's necessarily accurate of what happens. When we go to most of the seminars that are being put out that where they're teaching attorneys how to what to look for and what type of, you know, um, tricks that they need to do, it's, most of them is being pre- uh, presented by public defenders because public defenders deal with very interesting issues that normal attorneys don't have. So um, I actually am in a, a little bit different situation. So like in Sacramento, you guys have like a public defender's office there. But in Correct. New County, we don't have an actual public defender's office. It's private attorneys that have a contract with, with the county to do certain uh, re- certain type of cases. So I do have a contract with the county to do certain type of cases. And they, I, in regards to 30 to 40 seconds to do, deal with a case, no. I mean, you take as much time as you can. You can always continue a case if you're not prepared, um, if you haven't met with your client. So it, this notion that they don't even read your file and things of that nature is not, it's not necessarily accurate. only time I can see that happening is, let's say, you got a guy in jail and they're going to keep him in custody and you talk to him and try to, you know, get a little bit of information, but you don't have the police reports. And he's like, Hey, I, I did it. I just want to get out. And you negotiate with the DA at that point in time to try to get him credit for time served. Those are the only times you probably will see it where, you know, the public defender hadn't read the file, but they had normally talked to the client about, what the facts of the case. And then they, based off of what the client wants, they talk to the DA and try to negotiate based off of that. But yes, you, you do. I mean, you do have more, more of a caseload, but I, I have never had an opportunity. I have never had a situation where I was never able to read the police reports and act and adequately prepare and meet with the client and talk to the client about their case prior to them dealing with it.
0: Okay. Now, Do you know if that would be location-specific, bigger cities, bigger caseload, or if that's kind of a universal theme? Because I do know that if you get outside counsel that's not public defenders, I don't know actually, from people I've talked to, they've told me this, of course, and they say the outside counsel gets a little bit more of a leeway because they don't directly you know, have lunch with or talk to or barter deals with the DAs on a regular basis. The fact that you actually are an outside counsel, and I use outside counsel because that's all I know from law and order again, but the fact that you have an outside practice and you actually have a contract to do, you know, the public defender kind of work. I feel that whoever is having you as a lawyer is actually getting a really good deal on Having an experienced and credited lawyer in their court and on their side versus, you know, someone that just works out of Sacramento's courthouse and just rotates.
1: When you're talking about like whether it's private, like doing stuff privately compared to a public defender, you because you're your outside counsel out of the area or something. That's not necessarily a benefit for, for your clients in some times. Sometimes you could go to other counties. And you get homewards, you know, like the judge, you know, makes rulings that are bad because you're outside counsel, or they might slander your client because you're outside counsel. And if you're not familiar or if you haven't talked to local people, you don't know what the norms are in those communities. For instance, you get a DUI in Butte County, you might do, you know, some jail time, but if you go to Sacramento and get a DUI, Sacramento has a policy that if you're over a point like one five or something, each each blood alcohol level above that, they add like additional days of jail. So you're going to do substantially more time in Sacramento than you would do oh, in wow. other counties. Um, and an outside attorney coming in won't know that. Um, so sometimes it's good to have local counsel there, um, and sometimes it's not. You know, I mean, there's definitely situations where you could get into um, attorneys just being so, you know, you get in this routine and you're not trying to upset the apple cart. And sometimes it might be good to bring in some new blood that no one knows and doesn't care about the community. You know what I mean? And doesn't care if the judge hates them or something like that and comes in and it might shake up stuff that can be beneficial. And sometimes it can piss people off and you know what I mean? So it can, it works many different ways. So it's, it's just, you just need to have someone that knows that is competent, know what they're doing, and also have people people skills. Because if you're an ass to to the DA, they're not going to give you a deal. You know what I mean? You got to be able to say, "Hey, my guy needs this because of X, Y, and Z." You know, or you need to dismiss this case because here's this interview that I got from you know one of the witnesses saying my client wasn't there. Um, but if you come at them, you know, people in, in disrespectful ways you know, they're going to react differently to you. So it's just being able to communicate with people in an effective way and, and be able to advocate to your, your client's perspective without, you know, causing people to be pissed off and at least allow them to hear what you're saying. And then they will evaluate it and and do what they think is necessary based off the additional information.
0: Okay. So have you experienced any of that personally going into a situation where you've had opposing counsel by the way, I feel super like educated when I say like opposing counsel, again, law and order, but I have no clue. But do you have, uh, any situations where you've had like a case that was just, just off completely off of what the norm you would normally do or something that was just completely out of left field for you that you dealt with that either you did well with or you wish you didn't get on to, or just something that was just completely out of the blue that would have thrown you back on your heels.
1: Um, not necessarily. Um, maybe going back to that other comment. So I, I took this case, I was working for this other firm um, when I first got up here and we took this case in a different county. And I'm trying, I'm, I'm having a, a trial, but it's a court trial and it's a civil case. And, you know, like I was saying, being homeward, I felt that was kind of going on with me. Um, so when I'm making arguments and or questioning, you know, the witness, the judge is interrupting me. You know. <laughs> so he keeps every time I start asking questions he's stopping me and he's like, you know, making comments and stuff and he won't let me really get into certain certain things. So he kinda limited my ability to put on my case. And same thing when I was doing my closing argument, he kept interrupting me and I haven't had a judge ever do that, you know, and he didn't do that to the opposing counsel you know she was able to basically say whatever she wanted to say and that was okay but with me he kept cutting me off and started asking me all these crazy questions so i felt in that situation i wasn't you know the judge was screwing me and you know <laughs> let them learn you know i've talked to other counsel and they said that yeah they had a similar situation he screwed them over too um and and so you learn these things and next time i if i ever do a case you know I probably w- wouldn't get rid of that judge, but if I ever did do it, I would make sure I have like a court reporter there so I can make sure I have a record of him doing that. So if there's an issue with what happens, I can file an appeal and have appellate judge, you know, um, basically slap him if, 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 if what he's doing is inappropriate.
0: Like Rick James. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, but yeah, I mean, you know, judges have so much power and they can, you know, Affect cases, and they determine whether they're going to let certain evidence in. And sometimes, you know, if you have a judge that just doesn't like you or something like that, they making all these bad rulings. That it, it it can really affect your client. Um, but as in me taking like normal, just like regular case, I have had a situation where I took a case where I was like, oh, I'm in a in over my head. You know, I'm pretty smart of either being able to research the issue to try to get up to speed or associating with another attorney that deals with this type of law.
0: Okay. So on to or back to, excuse me, to the case you just said you were on where the judge was interrupting you and everything else. I didn't know that they're allowed to interrupt you in closing arguments because I've never seen that on TV or in movies. So that's new to me that they're able to do that. And you said you would rather have a court reporter be in the room with you. I thought that was mandatory for every courtroom.
1: No, not every case you have to have a court reporter. You know, you learn that (laughs) as you you practice. So like (laughs) a criminal, there's, um, like felony cases, there there must be a court reporter. But misdemeanor cases, they don't have to have a court reporter. And civil cases, they don't have to have a court reporter. So if you want one, you have to hire them and pay for them in like civil cases.
0: I and didn't so know that.
1: When, um, so when I got this case, I I took it over for another attorney that was in the firm. So I wasn't necessarily going to handle it all the way through. And so – you know, when I showed up, there wasn't a court reporter and stuff like that. So it's good to have one just so they can have the record.
0: Like now, do you find that case. keeps people more honest if there's a court reporter in the room or it keeps things more civil and it's a bad, bad assimilation, but it's like having Steve and the, you know, Jerry Springer, you know, he's the one that keeps everything regulated. Is that the same idea that would you see a court reporter? Because now you have to be held to everything you say, because it's now going to become a legal document and can be used against you in appellate court.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it does keep, you know, it, it goes both ways. You know what I mean? You you would think that it would keep people honest and, you know, like that, but it's just like you see these videos of these cops beating people up or people doing things that they're not supposed to do on camera, and they know it's being filmed. I think when you get in the moment, you just forget um, of what's going on, and you just start going like it's a normal thing, and you don't even realize that you're being videotaped or being someone's taking down your statements.
0: Okay, and so,
1: you know might be conscious at first, but when, once you start going, it's it, it's
0: like whatever. Just kind of getting that moment, and the the world around you kind of disappears. Now I get that. So, if you had the perfect situation set up for you to go into a courtroom, would you prefer to go into the judge? You know, because you know you can win it. Or would you? Go that route, regardless of the case, or would you have it more exciting to go to you know an outside county where you don't know the judge? Is there like a comfort zone for you that you would appreciate more than the other, or something you find more exciting? Wow, um so that was really left feeling
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, you know it it it's it's good going to i like going to other counties uh, just to see how things are, but you know the reality of it you never know what a jur- you never know what a judge is going to do. Um, whether you've been in front of that judge a lot of times or not. They do stuff that you wouldn't expect. Um, but it is sometime sometimes you might have courts that have policies that ninety nine percent of the cases they're gonna do. So for instance, like take domestic violence. Up here and like in Butte County, they always put a restraining order on, on every case, right? But you could go to some other counties on a domestic violence case, and they won't put one on there unless there's a showing that a person's very dangerous to this person. Um, just because they're charged, they don't necessarily mandate that it be put on. But in certain counties, it's always going to be put on. So you, you learn those, those things. And sometimes, it's you know, the way they deal with cases are totally different in some counties. And when you go to different counties, you start noticing certain things about it. Like, for instance, like I was telling you, like, the DUI. Well, I'd rather have a DUI in Butte County because I think my client will get a better deal than if you had it in um, Sacramento or Placer. Um, If if your guy has a misdemeanor DV case, it might be better to have them in um, Sutter County because they don't, you know, they don't supervise them formally like they would do in Butte County because in Butte County you have a probation officer, that you check that will check on you all the time and you have court reviews, but in that county, they don't supervise misdemeanors, you know what I mean so it so it kind of just depends, and going into all these different counties, you start figuring out what you know the norms of the of the different counties and it it could affect obviously whether you like being there or not, you know, yeah, and you might go to some counties where it's so we're so so strict on certain charges and you're like, man, I don't want to be there because. My client's not going to get a deal. I'm going to have to litigate every little thing. You know what I mean? So you you start picking these things up when you have been practicing long enough and in different communities.
0: Now, if because Butte and Sacramento are close enough proximity and... The deviation between the laws is rather extreme, especially when it comes to DUIs. And from my understanding from Sacramento, it being a test county for the state, I mean, they get tons and tons of money from the state to, you know, regulate DUIs, and the general public is pretty well ignorant and stupid about the understanding of DUI checkpoints and knowing where things are because it's required by law to put them out before they do them do you find that it is more difficult to argue a DUI in Sacramento than Butte or is it kind of equivalent just the sentencing can be a lot harsher in Sacramento than Butte and on top of that I I'm just curious, because again, of my shitty education in law, are you able to move like a Sacramento DUI to another county to get a different judgment?
1: All right. Okay. So you you kind of said a whole bunch of... I did. (laughs) Sorry. So for instance, litigating a case, um, I mean, a DUI is a DUI. Um, the, The jury instructions are the same anywhere in the state of California, right? So that is not necessarily like a real issue in, in the law. Now, again, like you said, Sacramento might treat things harsher um, because maybe the mothers against drug driving is is you know have a bigger political hold there or something like that. Where these judges came up with some policy saying, "Hey, these DUIs are very dangerous. Let's make the, the punishment harsher than in some other counties," um, but. Litigating it should be the same. Uh, the jury instructions are the same. You know, if you if you go to a jury trial, you're going to be dealing with people of the community. So, it, you know, as long as you can educate the community and present a strong case on why this person's not DUI, I think you should be fine. Um, but you would, you know, there there could be some differences in jury pools just because some counties are very conservative, some are more liberal. You know, some are more pro-law enforcement, some are not, you know. So it does depend in that aspect, but the law is the same. So, it, so for instance, like a DUI, the court has a, has a range of, of sentencing options. So they could say they give you anywhere from zero to six months in jail. So if they decide to give you 30 days on it, that's within the range that, you know, that the legislative have, has put forth. Some do it on the lower end. Some do it on a more sh- or, uh, harsher end. So it just depends on the county. Um, but I, I don't find it different litigating it in any county. I think they're all pretty similar. but The offers are all kind of different in each county.
0: Okay. Now, uh, and, of- and,
1: Oh, and you Go- asked about, you <laughs> asked about, um, moving it, changing it, changing it to a different location. You only could change 99 Point nine percent of uh, the time you're not able to change the venue of a case. Only time you're going to get a change of venue is you got to show that this is a high profile case, that this person cannot get a, a fair trial in that community, which is going to be very, very hard to, to prove. So if you're a general public be, person, you will, yeah, or even if you're a celebrity, you know, you got to be able to prove that being in that community, being in that court system, you cannot get a fair trial. And that, okay. and usually there's not going to be big publicity for these DUI cases, you know, but like there's a case going on in Butte County where they, this guy's on death row. He, he murdered some, or he supposedly he got convicted of murder some people like long time ago. And the DA kicked the only black uh, judge off. I mean the black um, jury member off. And so they filed a motion and eventually the, said, no, you, you know, you can't kick all the minorities off. And so they sent it back. Well, in that case, they hired an expert on, on venue, which he goes and does surveys and looks at new, newspaper articles to see what kind of publicity has been going on to see whether this person can even get a fair trial in Butte County. And if not, then it will go to some other county like Placer or Sacramento or some other place. Uh, but those are extremely rare cases that they will be able to be changed.
0: Okay. So now, because of that comment, the idea of them kicking off the only black juror on a trial, do you see a deviation in race, ethnicity, or just you know social status for what a potential deal, conviction could be? And I ask this because you do see a whole bunch of everybody coming into the legal system, regardless of one or the other. But I've personally seen friends that have a lot of money with their family and skate with six DUIs and never having to do a day in jail. And I've seen people that are just regular Joe blows get one, two DUIs, have to do the 30, 60 days in jail and go that way. Or you go back a few years ago where you look at, you know, a 49er who got a DUI on a Saturday night and then got a police escort to the game Sunday morning. So it it changes things the way I look at them from the outside in. And I say this as, you know, a middle-class white guy. I see a difference in things when I see my own friends and family and, you know, athletes going through it. Do you see any difference when you're in court at the same idea or is it just a general perception in the way that media is kind of putting things out?
1: I think a lot of it is, is, uh, I mean, obviously if you have a lot of money and have resources, you know, it, it obviously is going to be been, usually will end up better for you because you can hire an attorney to only work your case and, and not work like a whole bunch of cases. you know what I mean? So you know, if I if I have you know fifteen to twenty thousand dollars to, to give an attorney, then they're going to just say, okay, I'm just going to work on your case. I don't need to have like, you know, twenty to thirty clients. You know, I I can just focus on this one case. And so they might be able to f- file more motions and litigate more things, hire experts and things like that to help them with their case. So yes, I mean, the reality is resources do do play a role. Um, However, sometimes people with those resources, if they get convicted of things, sometimes the, the courts make an uh, example out of them too, you know. And, you know, if you you know, you know watch the news, you, you can see, you know, you got rich people that are getting convicted and going to prison. Like Lil Wayne, you know, he goes to prison. He has millions of dollars, but he's getting convicted of gun charges and he's going to prison. You know, same with T.I., you know. So there are affluent people that are getting convicted and going to prison. Um, you know, the facts, you know, the reality is the facts are the facts. You know, if you have crappy facts, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're paying someone a million dollars. It, it, you know, they can't change the facts of the case. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. it, it's a situation where, yeah, rich people get convicted too, just like poor people. And, and sometimes the courts will make an example out of people that they think that, you know, think they're on a higher level than, than, the general public, you know, so you never know what the judge is thinking either. So, but I, 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 I do think if you have more resources, you could put a better, better case on than someone that doesn't have those type of resources.
0: And that makes sense because, you know, I would assume that the general public isn't looking to spend 10, 15, $20,000 On a case and trying to go that way, and I have personal friends you know had a DUI that they actually paid. I think it was ten or twelve thousand dollars to get a DUI dropped to a wet and reckless due to the fact that they asked for a blood test because the common idea behind that is by the time you get to the police station your bac will have dropped they can draw the blood at that and it'd be less than what if you got to give breathless uh breathless test and then there was some mishandling of it or they didn't test it to a right time or however it would have been done but they paid the 10 or twelve thousand dollars to drop it down just not have points on license or have a dui against them and it worked because they could prove that you know the handling of the blood from point A to point Z wasn't done efficiently, and they could do that. I I couldn't be able to afford ten, fifteen thousand dollars to fight a DUI, and it would cost that much, you know, in the term from you getting a DUI to going to court to paying the fines and higher insurance. It equates, I would assume, to about the same idea for it, but they put it up front and fought that because they had the ability to and they won, which is, for me, that's it's a new thing. I don't see many people going to court. I don't see the idea of people winning all the time because in the way that the courts are presented to me, and it, it's you're guilty until you're proven innocent. And I think that's just what I see as a social perspective because no matter who you are, the news, and media put out, you've done this, you've done wrong before you've ever gone to court. And I think that's like jading people and changing people's views before any facts are actually in.
1: Yeah. I mean, the news is definitely, um, playing a role. I mean, you could see anytime a, a football player or athlete is, you know, someone alleges that they committed domestic violence or something like that. Everybody's just, Assuming that they they did it, you know. So I mean, I I think there is a perception of guilty till proven innocent, um, and also with all this, you know, like if you, you know, this hashtag Me Too movements and things of that nature. You know, if you have a situation where maybe a person, you know, went off and hit someone and committed domestic violence, a lot of times people think that okay, they did it once, they must have been doing it for like twenty years instead of this is just this one incident for whatever reason that this happened, you know? Um, so they always make their, you know, people are people, you know, we, we make assumptions of what's going on. And there's been plenty of times that I've been, I picked a jury or I'm picking a jury and I asked, um, you know, you might ask them if they could be fair or, you know, or impartial and plenty of them say, well, he got, he got arrested. He must've did something wrong, you know? (laughs) Or he's been charged. He he must have did something wrong. You know, I've been alive for 20 years. I have never done, i have never been arrested. You know, people have those mentalities thinking just because you are arrested and charged that you did something. It might not necessarily be that specific thing, but you did something. And um, its it, it, it is it it is sad because you know our the foundation of the criminal justice system was not founded on that belief. It's like everybody's supposed to be considered innocent, and if the DA doesn't prove their case. You must, you must acquit them. Even if you have, you might think they've done it, but you can't, you're not 100%, if you're not really, really sure beyond a reasonable doubt that they committed, you, you got to find them not guilty. I mean, there's definitely times where you might think, I think he did it, but I don't think there's enough evidence there to really be real, real sure that he did it. So I'm going to have to vote, you know, not guilty. But, you know, there's, there's a lot of people that don't have that thinking when they get in there but that's kind of what the law was supposed to make is like hey even if you think you might be guilty but you're not 100 if you're not really sure this evidence shows that then you know they're supposed to acquit you
0: and it should be that way but i think people's fear gets the best of them and no one wants to go to jail no one wants to go to prison no one wants to be convicted and i think the difference with a lot of Perception is charged does not mean convicted, and if you're charged with something, people forget you weren't convicted. You were innocent of things, and you were found, you know, innocent in a court of law, or there wasn't enough evidence to put against you. And I think that's what the problem is: is the idea that the idea of being charged, the general public puts an automatic guilty on you, which means you're automatically convicted, and it's not the same idea. Now, whether you have a public defender or a lawyer that's outside of the public defender system and it's independent counsel, I think that's hearsay for whomever's going to say it because if you're in your own circle of friends, your own community, if you're charged with, like you said, domestic violence, no one's going to believe you that you were innocent because, again, I think social media, I think that the news media, that perspective gives you the idea that you, you must have done it. But you paid someone off.
1: Sometimes the job of the attorney, um, like if you're doing a trial is to educate the jury on that and make sure that they know you're, you're innocent until proven guilty. You know, you got to give them examples. You got to explain that to them for them to really grasp that concept. Cause I mean, a lot of people don't, you know, can't grasp that concept, you know, but you gotta be able to try to educate them. And if you can't, then you get rid of them. <laughs> you know, you get, a <laughs> certain amount of, you get a certain amount of um, challenges, and it's like, hey, you know, you, get, you ask the person in question, and they're like, hey, like, if you, let's say you're, you're in a trial for domestic violence, and the guy is charged with, you know, battering his wife, but he's like, um, she was hitting me, so I, you know, I hit her back, you know? So you're like a self-defense claim. Well, there, you're going to have people from the old school going to be like, it's never all right for a guy to put a hand on, on a woman, no matter what she does. Even if she shot you, you can't touch her, you know. There's people that have those mentalities, and you start asking them questions, and they'll and they and they'll start telling you that a lot of times. And you're like, well, hey, this guy has a, a pretty strong view on it. He's not going to change. Even if I put on self-defense, and even if the jury instruction says, hey – you know, you're allowed to defend yourself because of his, you know, beliefs, he's not going to find self-defense. So you're like, well, hey, I'm going to get rid of him because I can't, he's not going to change his way. So first you try to convince the judge saying that he can't be fair. And if the judge doesn't get rid of him for cause, then you get rid of him through a peremptory challenge.
0: Nice. Now, do you, do you see people... Wanting to be on juries just to be on juries and feel that that's a, a big thing for them, and you have to like wean those people out, or do you see more of people like, I, I, I don't want to be here today, I'm not getting paid for this, I'm missing work?
1: I see both. I do see a lot, you'll see a lot of people that are trying to get out of jury duty, which is which is sad because then you're getting the people that probably not, you're getting a lot of old retired people that have time to sit on juries, and you're not getting younger people that. Maybe you could relate to your client and understand what's going on. It's more that people that are, you know, retired that say, Well, I ain't got nothing to do. I'll sit here and watch it, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, even for myself to sit in a jury to take a deduction and pay would hurt me. And so that would be a little bit of different. But then again, I'm also a salaried employee. So I'd actually get double pay. So it wouldn't affect me. But I think people that have a potential harm to their family for their income would do it. But then again, I know tons of people that have falsified documents just to get out of jury duty to say that they are going to be hurt financially to go and sit in there. But I do feel that if we had a more diverse group of people that were willing to go and do it, they would be okay with it. But I, I don't see people that want to do it on a regular basis. And the few that do live in the old oj hype of i want to be on this three year i, I for, forgive me for how long the oj trial was of like i'm gonna make a big difference in this world and i'm gonna be on the news for this or make money out of it and it's it's not true like you're you're either trying to save someone's life if it's domestic violence if someone's being assaulted or you're trying to put someone in a way that can do very bad things to other people but i i don't see the general public thinking that this service is something that they really want to do and that can actually really affect a trial. Am I right?
1: Yeah. I mean, you definitely, you know, if you've got people that's sitting on your case that don't want to be there, they're not paying attention. They're not, you know, they don't really care that does, that's a disservice to your client and, and to, you know, the DA's office too, you know? So you want people that want to be there, but you know, just depends on the type of case. You know, if you're trying like sex cases and, like homicides, those trials are long, and not everybody can sit through a case. You know what I mean? Like that. I mean, I got a couple cases I'm gonna try this year that, you know, a jury. I can see a jury members not wanting to sit through a case where you're seeing a guy exposing himself to three year olds and you know, try you know, raping people. You know, people don't want to see those type. Of, don't want to you know hear those type of cases. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So. When you so you also got to educate them on the type of case so they can make a decision like hey you know I have kids I can't sit through this stuff I can't be fair you know I know he did it so I'm a, I think anybody that commit those crimes should be shot you know what I mean but it you know it, like you said I mean there's a lot of people that try to get out of jury duty even if they can serve they they want to make excuses to not sit there you know and, and do their duty. To the, to the community and it, it, it's sad because it affects the defendant you know what if you have reasonable people or people that have similar experiences to you that can relate to your what's going on you know that that help that's helpful if you got a bunch of other people that you know are detached and i i don't think it's like fair you know what i mean
0: oh yeah like, and it's know, different when they're not sitting there themselves to understand what that per, other person's going through. They're watching people, honestly, just being assholes and trying to get out of things and say racist things or say ignorant things to get out of having to sit there longer than they want to be there. And that's jeopardizing someone's potential freedom and, and possibly the life. and And I think until you're sitting in that seat, you don't really fully understand what's going on because you're in a juror box. You're not sitting on, you know... The defendant's table. You're not sitting there, coming in and out of general population, or sitting in jail, hoping you can go home that night or in a week or two weeks. You're just thinking, I want to go home tonight because it's taco night.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. You know, it's, it's tough, and just going through this, you never know what people are going to say, and it, it, you know, some of them, you know, are not lying. Like I remember, I tried a case, and the guy was like. You know, I don't like black people. I don't like Hispanics, you know. And and hearing that, you're like, whoa, whoa, hold on. You know what I mean? <laughs> but if those are his real beliefs, it was good for him to at least say that because now I know, okay, if you don't like me because of the color of my skin, you're probably not going to like my client if he's a minority. Or even if he's not a minority, you don't like me because of my color of my skin. So it's, it's going to be negative impact on my client. So then I, because he was honest, I'll get rid of him. So it's, so sometimes it's, it's great for people to just to be honest and, 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 and their, their beliefs. And, and you never know what's going to happen. I mean, I remember I tried a case and it was, uh what was it? I think it was, it was like a burglary case and, you know, a person in there had been burglarized and, you know, she was hesitant to be on the jury you know what I mean? Cause she had a similar, she'd been, you know, robbed herself, you know what I mean? But, you know, some of her answers and when I talked to her, she, was, oh, you do your job, I'll pay attention, you know, and do it and do my job, you know? And so I kept her Um and, you know, talking to her afterwards, she was like, you know, at first I was a little hesitant cause I had this experience, but going through this, I, you know, now I realize why I need to serve, you know? So it's just, so it's, uh, it's, a lot, it's an enlightening experience going through like a jury trial and things of that nature
0: i will i'll take your word I've gone through three calls to come in for jury duty not once have I ever been called in to go into a courtroom I've just sat there for six hours and waited and done nothing so I've never actually sat into the courtroom as a juror and even been picked to go through it and It is what it is, but I do feel that the politicking that goes along with it, I think, is almost like playing chess. You're picking who would be your best ally, and so is the DA. So you might feel that, you know, this guy's a racist asshole. I don't want him. But the DA finds that he wants that guy because your defendant might be a minority, and that he can get a guaranteed, you know, guilty off of him. So I feel it's like, it's playing chess. Who do you give up? Like who are you sacrificing to get a better one?
1: Yeah. And, and, and that happens. And I mean, a lot of times people think just because you're either a minority or white that that people are going to sympathize because of your color and, and of your skin. And that's not necessarily true either. I mean, there's plenty of people are getting convicted you know, b- plenty of black people are getting convicted by black people. Plenty of white people are getting convicted by white people. I think, as attorneys, a lot of us have those have those beliefs that okay, I keep this black person on the jury; he might relate to this person, and if I'm a guy, not guilty. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Which, you know, like I said, if 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 they think you're a danger to society, most people are going to be like, uh, yeah, you need to be
0: locked guilty. up. Get the hell out of here.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, jury doesn't, you know, they don't get to determine, you know, the punishment, but they get to determine whether, what, what are the facts of the case and what are, what the person is guilty of.
0: Rightfully so. So if we were to move on out of this one, now that we're a recreationally legal marijuana state, which I'm not against, I don't participate in marijuana, I'm not against marijuana, I do feel personally marijuana should be treated like any other legal drug, alcohol, I think regulation should go out there and do that. Do you see this being now something that's going to become more of an enforceable thing and more of a criminal activity like you would for DUIs or anything of that state of nature? Or do you feel it's going to basically be the same status quo as it was a year ago when it wasn't considered legal in the state of California?
1: well obviously the the legislative um you know propositions have kind of minimize the the punishment for marijuana convictions and things of that nature. so what's going on now is like if you sold to someone in the past, that was a felony. now it's a misdemeanor so what what I'm seeing now in a lot of these counties are if a person's growing a lot of marijuana plants, the counties are slapped, They most counties have ordinances saying that you can only have a certain amount of um, plants, and if you're growing more than that, they'll 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 uh, slap like a nuisance um, violation on you. And if you don't abate and, and get rid of them, they they could charge you like five hundred to a thousand dollars a day. And mm. so, since it's not being as prosecuted as much criminally. They're trying to get low after people civilly. I'm I'm seeing there's big money in marijuana, so I, I you know, people are going to be growing. But the problem is, you know, you got all these illegal grows, and these people are growing in national forests and destroying the forest to try to grow marijuana. I think that's the problem. I think if they the reason why they wanted to legalize it is they could tax it, they could hopefully get rid of the illegal component of it, and maybe not have as many like, you know, home invasions of people trying to get rip these people off for cash but I think also when you when you create these laws um, and you're regulating this industry the price of you know marijuana is going to go up because people you know you're going to have to pay all these taxes and stuff on it so they're like well shoot I can grow my own for cheaper or I can get it from the brand for cheaper so um, in actuality you know it decriminalized a lot of the marijuana charges so I mean, I I could see possibly DUIs maybe going up based off the marijuana use, but who knows? I mean, most people that smoke marijuana were smoking it even you know, when it was illegal, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, it, did, it didn't change the consumption from then to now. It's still <laughs> the same idea for it. There's just more dispensaries out there for you to grab them uh, and just kind of walk through more legally than you would have beforehand because, you know, you're 23 years old and you have glaucoma. Yeah. So it, it is a different thing. And I think the, the fun thing I do hear from people is that growers were afraid of it becoming legal because then everyone's going to do it and their, process, their prices were going to drop. But like you said, taxation's going to become a portion of it. So that's going to actually inflate the prices of things. And I can still grow my own tomatoes in my backyard, but I'm not fucking doing that. That's too much work. I'm not, I'm not a green thumb. I'm not going that way. And if it were for weed, I'd still be going to a dispensary because you've got these guys that have been doing this stuff for years that can do a better product Mm -hmm. than I could be and probably way better and more efficiently. So why take the harm of it? But I I agree with you, the idea that people are getting robbed because of cash in their house due to being a grow or being a farm is something that is going to stay frequent until it's either federally legal or I've been saying for a little while now I can see California being one of the, if not the state that would put in place legally being able to put your cash into a bank to be federally insured because they're making a ton of money off of you putting your cash in a bank.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's only a matter of time that California is going to you know, create their, their own banks and, Allow, allow people to put you know put their money in there. Um, they probably won't be like FBI. Obviously, they're not going to be assured by the federal government. No. You, you never know what's going to happen in the future. I mean, they could potentially, the federal government could lax the laws down the road. And they could. In- yeah, you're... you're
0: it's California though. It's the fifth largest economy in the world. I don't see them letting money go through the state without taking some sort of taxation, whether it's, you know, not FDIC insured, but California insured, whatever it might yeah. be where they can get the money out of you. They're going to figure something out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, am sure there's going to be banks created and things of that nature. Once it's, once they get everything going, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of money being made. and. I mean, there's different, you know, with these dispensaries and stuff like that, they create a lot of different stuff too. It's not just, you know, marijuana, like they will have different marijuana.
0: Yeah, They've got you know, CBDs, uh, they've got waxes, dabs, whatever they're called yeah. and whatever concentrations, however they want to put it out there. The, weed in marijuana, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's not the same now as it was 10 years ago. And 10 years ago, we were saying that about, you know, our parents back in like the hippie days of the sixties and Woodstock and things like that. They have concentrations that are far, far beyond what we would have ever imagined. Even when we were kids, it's a different world when it comes to marijuana and those kind of strands.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, it might be safer going to that. If you're not going to grow your own, it might be safer to go to dispensaries because, You know, I I have had plenty of clients test positive for, like, cocaine or something like that in their urine. And they're like, man, I only smoke weed. You know, I don't do cocaine or meth. And it's like, well, did you roll your own joint? You know, who are you with? You know, do you know if they laced it with something? You know what I mean? So there's people that are getting busted for using illegal drugs because they're smoking, you know, joints that their buddy made, you know.
0: Yeah, and you can't be sure who's putting what into where. And Yeah, no, I, I completely understand it, It's a different world. and it's, You can't trust everyone for doing anything. You can't even trust putting your own drink down in a bar to not get roofied. So I, I yeah. completely understand that.
1: Yeah, it's a crazy world that we're living in, but, you know, we got to, <laughs> you know, like you said, you got to be very cognizant of what's going on around you and make sure they're not, you know, Like you said, you you go to a bar and order a drink and you leave. It it might have something in it that might mess you up.
0: But you put a napkin on top of it. It's supposed to be safe.
1: (laughs) It might have been like that back in the days. But nowadays, yeah, it's uh, a problem.
0: It, It definitely changed. So I'm curious of, toward the end of our conversation here, people that are convicted, if they have, whether it's a misdemeanor, felony, uh DUI, domestic dispute, drug convictions, whatever it might be is theres something people should look at to find out if they can get their charges reduced or expunged. Is that something that people should look at potentially doing is that a value for anybody or will things fall off? a certain you know amount of time for them, like if you um, filed bankruptcy, was it like seven years? It kind of uh, dissipates and doesn't exist anymore. Uh, so,
1: so your criminal record stays with you and if you don't expunge it, it's going to show up and you're going to have to disclose it to any kind of job that you're going to go to. So in regards to whether you should expunge it, I think it's in your best interest to expunge it if you successfully complete probation. Now to figure out whether it's a wobbler or something like that, that's why you you should contact an attorney to go over those things with you because there are crimes that are wobblers that can be charged as a misdemeanor or a felony. Or there could be um, you might be charged with something and an attorney might get to negotiate a different charge that is a wobbler that that could benefit your client in the long run. You know what I mean? I have had situations where my client might be charged with a specific code section and it's not wobbler, but I might find a code section that Similar to that, and hey, tell the DA, hey, look, like, my client will plead to this, you know, as a felony, but at least gives them an opportunity later down the road to to reduce it from a felony to a misdemeanor if they um, if, if they successfully complete probation. So that's why it's very important for you to you know not represent yourself and talk to an attorney, whether it's a public defender or whether it's a private attorney, because there's things that you might not know the ramifications, you know. Okay. For instance, I have this this one case where a guy was charged with a domestic violence charge. Well, if he he's a security guard, so and they are armed security guards. So if he pled to the DV charge, it, it's a lifetime weapons ban under federal law, and so he wouldn't be able to, he would lose his job. So his attorney reduced got it reduced to a disturbance of peace, where it doesn't have that that restriction. So you know things like that can happen.
0: So now, if he was convicted of the original charges, would that have been a felony charge? And that would have been what would have taken away his uh, concealed carrier, or his weapon uh, rights?
1: No. Um, it, uh, the misdemeanor, any mis- uh, misdemeanor domestic violence charge uh, takes away your weapon. Even, okay. even in, like a misdemeanor battery charge takes away your right to own or, or possess a firearm.
0: Okay, so I wasn't sure. From my understanding, if you're convicted with a felony, you lose your right to vote forever. You can never own a firearm ever. I, those are the only two things I actually believe that you can get guilty with if you're a, a felon. Oh, no, you can also never serve on a jury. Those are the only things that I, I really understand if you're ever convicted of a felony or I guess now domestic dispute as well. Is that correct
1: so yeah so any felony um will trigger a weapons ban, and certain misdemeanor convictions, usually like assaults and batteries will trigger a weapons ban in regards to voting, you actually can vote with a felony conviction, but like i said you're if you have a if you if you have a straight felony, you cannot own or possess a weapon, and if it's a wobbler then. Um, unless you can get a pardon from the governor, you're going to be stuck with, with never being able to own a weapon.
0: And who the hell can get a pardon from the governor?
1: There are people that get them. I mean, but it's very rare.
0: Yeah, and understandably so. I yeah, I don't I don't foresee many people trying to, after getting a felony, plead to the governor why they need to have a a license for a gun. Well. He,
1: yeah, and, and I mean, there's there's other things like there's certain, you know, licensings that that you know, if you have felonies, they won't allow you to get licensed in certain areas. So if you get a pardon, then you might be able to get, you know, get get your license back or something to that effect. So there's there's, there's reasons to get one, but they hardly grant them.
0: Which wouldn't, you know, make sense either. You, whether you were considered. You know, guilty or you didn't think you were guilty, the law found you guilty. And there are certain things I think you would have to give up. And I, I Personally, I think, you know, owning a gun isn't the biggest thing in the world to have to give up. I think, you know, if you want to be able to vote, be an active participant in, you know, society... Uh, be able to have a wobbler and not check a felony box, you know. Be able to go and volunteer to children's school. I think those are more important than you know owning a firearm. I think that would it's an understandable thing to not have to have.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you also got to realize where you're at because you know, like some places up here. I mean, hunting is very important for these people. Owning firearms, the right to bear arms, is very important to some of these people and some of these these. Uh, um, communities where that is like the main thing. So you taking away their gun rights. is it's, it's very serious.
0: Yeah. I but, guess the know, difference like between like suburbia and where you guys are. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but like you said, you know, some of these convictions, like you said, you can't volunteer for your, your kid's school. You can't do, you can't do a lot of things with these felonies. You, there might be, you might not be, able, if you wanted to become a doctor, you, can't you know get a license now so there's a lot of different things that can happen with these felony convictions so it's very important you know try to negotiate them down to misdemeanors and if you can't try to find something that can be reduced at a later date which gives your client at least an opportunity hey if you fly straight and get everything and do what you're supposed to do you you won't be a felon for the rest of your life
0: yeah and and that I think is the ultimate goal is if you have the potential of a felony conviction, if you're able to get that taken off your record, if you're able to be you know a normal citizen, and if you can prove that you don't have to have the gun. There are people, like you said, that are hunters, that they actually hunt and they sell livestock or they use that to feed their family that really require that license. They require that gun ability. So whether or not you're a felon with a wobbler to a misdemeanor, they really require that and so I, I think there in that case, then it becomes who of you to get an attorney that can help you plead that case. But if it is nothing to you, I do feel that it shouldn't be a major thing to you just to be able to be at your children's school and be an active participant.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the things, you know, when you, when you're, when you're meeting with a client, you got to you got to figure out what their goals are. You know what I mean? And, and, that if you don't then you could be doing them a disservice like if if my main goal is hey i want to be able to be at my uh, kid's school or i want to be in this type of profession and it's like hey i can't get convicted of this type of charge in order to do that well it will be my job to try to figure out a way to not get them convicted of that type of charge you know what i mean because it could have ramifications that they don't want and if you don't meet with your clients, if you don't talk to them, then you don't know, and I think you do a disservice to your clients if you if you're if you're practicing that way. I mean, you got to know and and be able to educate them on the ramifications. I mean, obviously, you can't know everything. Um, like I right now, I'm doing some cases what we call sexually violent predators, and these are people that have been convicted of certain sex crimes, and then. Uh, a doctor says they have a mental health issue that will make them continue to like sexually offend assault people and a lot of times these people when they took their pleas, they weren't told that hey, you could be civilly committed when you're about to get released and 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 some of these people, the law wasn't even even in play, and you know that might change their opinion on whether they want to take a deal right if you think i'm hey yeah. if I plead to charge I might be civilly committed in the hospital for potentially the rest of my life, then I might be like, well shoot I might, that might be life anyway so I might as well you know go to trial and see if I can you know get lucky and win
0: Yeah, I mean life is life, but if you look at what the entertainment world, TV and you know movies tell you you'd rather do life drugged up in a nut house than potentially getting raped in a prison so it, the way they present it is pick your poison.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean that, that that's true. You know,
0: it, I, I think it, I'm too pretty for prison, so I don't want to go any time in my life. So <laughs> I I don't have any, have any gang affiliations. I don't want to be, you know, whatever white pride goes in there because I think I'm big. I've met a lot bigger people and I don't want to be a bottom in prison. That does not sound like a good day for me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I be I be wondering why people keep going back. You know, it's like, <laughs> dude, you you like it there? You know what I mean? Because I go visit these people in the jail like every week, and it's like, ah, this doesn't seem like this is that fun. You're yeah. locked up in a brick, uh, you know, a facility like a dungeon. Yeah, just and you're being told what the hell to do. You know, yeah. and then you got worried about politics in there. I mean. Yeah. If you have certain charges, you know, those gangs and stuff, they, they, they'll they say, hey, if you got certain charges, they want to see your paperwork, and they might beat you up if they don't like, if, if you have, like, child molestation or battery charges on women, you know.
0: And it, so, it's not a I mean, pretty I've thing.
1: Of, yeah. <laughs> I've had plenty of people, you know, I go, they get arrested, I go see them, and they're, like, knotted up, and I'm like, damn, what the hell happened to you? Yeah, man. They, they, I got jumped when I got here, you know, and you know, they eyes all closed. I had to go to the hospital. It's like, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, it, it's not a pretty thing. And I also like to watch locked up. It, it makes me feel better about a person when I see that on TV because I'm not there. But you know, the general population versus uh, segregation isn't anything better. You're still in there with the same kind of people, and if you get out to general public as per the T V show, you're getting your ass kicked anyway. Or you're meeting some up in the shower where there's no cameras. I I think the idea and the perception, you know, that jail's like Orange is the new black is a false reality because you're eating a mystery meat sandwich one way or the other if you do some shit wrong that people don't want to see you for.
1: Yeah. I mean they, they <laughs> definitely um if you do if you're doing stuff that they don't like, yeah, they they they'll they'll definitely uh get at you about it, you know what I mean? And it's just a situation, you know, most people don't want to be in. Like I said, just like, I, I've i had clients say, hey, man, can can you give me a police report, you know? And it's because, you know, the head on show when they got in prison, like, hey, you know, if you hear on some certain type of charges, you know, you don't have a problem. <sighs> They're like, scared and yeah and then you know they don't just beat you up one one-on-one like they jump your ass
0: oh yeah they're not gonna take a chance one-on-one what if you beat one guy you can't beat five guys so let's go for that route yeah yeah so
1: it's a it's a lose lose situation for some of these people but you know can't put yourself in those positions of keep getting in trouble you
0: know no it, it's your life choices you make better choices you have better results if you make bad choices you have to fight your way out of them or figure out and hope that you can get a better result but it really is dependent upon your choices and what you've done for the most part yeah well brandon that's about the amount of time we've got for you tonight give us uh your website again and the uh email and phone number to get a contact with you if these guys don't want to uh end up in the shower situation with some people. There's no guarantees, by the way. If you're guilty, you're guilty. You're good for trying to get out. But if they're looking for some counsel, looking for some education on their situation, and finding out if they even should have a lawyer, um, what's the contact information that we should give them?
1: Uh, The website is wjllplaw.com. And you can email us at info at WJLLPlaw.com.
0: That sounds great, Brandon. And everyone listening, you'll find all the same information on the information tab for this podcast. You will also find all this information on thehermanjames.com. It'll be up there as long as this podcast is live on there. If you have any questions or later down the road, you want to get some more information, you can't find this podcast on thehermanjames.com. Give me an email at therantwithhermanjames at gmail.com. I will shoot you over the same information that Brandon just gave you here. We'll get everything live for you and get you guys, uh, some, uh, good connections. See, if we can help you guys out with Brandon. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to educate me on my, uh, really, really poor law and order education on the law system.
1: Well, TV is definitely not a depiction of what reality is,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's so entertaining.
1: <laughs> it, it is. It is. You know, being an attorney, I, there's very few shows that I, I watch where I'm like, okay, that, that's like real life, you know?
0: It, it, so it's I, just,
1: I typically don't watch a lot of those types of shows.
0: I, I couldn't see why you'd want you You deal with it every day, and now they're going to highlight or penalize or villainize whatever you do. and it, it You've already done it all day long for the real world. Why sit at home and watch it done again?
1: Yeah. But, there, there, um, I mean, there are some good shows that you're like, okay, yeah, that's pretty, you know, that's a kind of what like what really happens you know but then there's a lot of times you know you see the shows and it's like this guy does the amazing cross and this guy admits that they're they killed this person it's like that doesn't happen
0: you know what i mean, <laughs> you mean you'll you get people just to uh, well, confess their innocence or the guilty pleas right on stand every time
1: <laughs> see that don't happen you know but it happens in movies you know <laughs> and
0: that's what sells tickets yeah Well, that's all the time I've got for you. On this one, I want to thank Brandon Williams for coming on the show, enlightening all of us. A little bit more about the legal system. What are some common misconceptions and myths that are out there in the world? Make sure to check out Brandon's website at WJLLPlaw.com. That will also be on the hermanjames.com's website. You will also see his YouTube video right below this episode on the homepage. But definitely check him out. Shoot him an email if you have any legal questions looking for legal representations. That's going to be info at wjllplaw.com. Again, it's wjllplaw.com. LLP.com Don't forget to check out my friends on the No Funny Podcast Network. That's NoFunnyNetwork.com They're all over social media as well as well as The Rant Is and The Herman James. This podcast episode is going to be put across every platform that is currently hosted by podcasts including spotify and iHeartRadio. so tell your smart speaker you want to hear the rant with herman james they'll play the most recent podcast that will be this one if you just listen to it now the rant with herman james and brandon williams talking about legal issues and again thehermanjames.com is the one-stop location for all the information you need including wjllplaw.com can't wait to be new years next week